returned to ruins. No, it just came back and saw what happened to that town, and it was devastating. Lytton residents get their first look at what the wildfire did to their town and what it'll take to rebuild. New scrutiny of rail traffic as the source of the spark. If a rolling stock, in other words, rail, ignites a fire or an explosion, it is a reportable occurrence. The TSB steps in to question why train operators didn't report a fire near the tracks. And a promise to pay for big projects. Today's public transit announcement will have a real impact on people's lives. The SkyTrain extension that just got a major boost from the Prime Minister. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Heartbreaking scenes of destruction witnessed by residents of Lytton as they briefly returned to their village for the first time. Evacuees boarded buses for a drive-through tour of the devastation caused by last week's fast-moving fire. Aaron MacArthur joins us now live. And Aaron, I know you spoke to some of those folks both before and after they saw the ruins of their community. Chris, there is a real difference between seeing images on TV or in print and seeing it firsthand. And today, residents of Lytton were given an eye-opening. Every building, every block, gone. No, it just came back and saw what happened to that town, and it was devastating. From a distance, the destruction in Lytton is hard to believe. Up close, it's unfathomable. How did anyone survive this? Just the devastation is awesome in a way that you look at it. How could this happen so fast? It only took minutes. So within an hour, there was no litten left. Not everything is lost. In the middle of the scorched earth, homes untouched by flames. Two people died in this fire. No one has forgotten. But after nine days of not knowing where their neighbors were, who was unaccounted for, seeing friends, tangible evidence that they are still a community. Really, I can't, you know, say anything. I just got to look and talk to my kids about it. I told them to look forward because that's all we can do. The village has plans to rebuild. There are promises from the provincial and federal governments. Residents don't know where they're going to stay next week, let alone how they're going to go back home. There are fears about contamination, the water, the soil, the air. But a highway and two rail lines cut through this town. Power is being restored. So is phone service. The first signs of rebuilding a place that is still home for so many. I think we're blessed that this thing never happened two in the morning. Because that Lytton would be a graveyard. No ifs and buts about it. The last nine days have felt like an eternity for people from the Lytton area. Who knows what the next nine days will be like. The next nine months, it will be a long road to recovery. Chris, Sophie? No, no doubt. And after seeing those pictures, credit again to the mayor for getting everybody out of there so quickly. Thanks very much, Aaron. Now, the Transportation Safety Board is sending a pair of teams to B.C. to investigate possible train-related wildfires, including the one in Lytton. 
As Ted Chernecki reports, this follows new information that's come to light after both CN and CP said they had no recent incidents in that area. The rumble of freight trains fell quiet in the Kamloops to Boston Bar area today. Transport Canada saying it stopped all rail traffic here so residents could safely inspect what's left of their homes. The train's on fire. CN has stated in the past that it doesn't believe one of their trains started this fire. But if it had, the railway is obligated to report an occurrence to the Transportation Safety Board. Because we hadn't received an occurrence report from them or directly from anyone else, we really didn't have, we weren't in a position to go in and investigate. But now, based on this uh, updated information we received uh, as a result of those investigations, we're going to go on, on site and take a look. Those investigations refer to RCMP and BC wildfire reports. Both the shutdown and TSB announcement come after a prominent First Nations spokesperson questioned how serious anyone is in finding answers. People have died in this, and we have yet to get clarity on what's transpired there. It's really difficult for us to understand how a company can come in, clean up, and start service without a complete investigation. The reopening is understandable as there's enormous economic pressure to keep traffic moving, but the delay has compromised the TSB. If there was an occurrence that happened a week ago or, or a little longer now, um, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to reconstruct uh, what may have happened. In fact, the TSB is now involved in two rail-related fires. Residents were temporarily forced to flee in the Sparwood area last night. Locals say CP trains routinely have to break here. I've put two fires out this year on the track, small ones on ties myself. The bigger question is how prevalent are train-related fires. A study in Sweden suggested 100 fires in one season were train-related. In Manitoba in 2016, CN faced three separate lawsuits over fires near tracks. BC's Wildfire Service says it does not track suspect train-caused fires. Ted Chernucky, Global News. Well, the wildfire in Lytton and subsequent TSB investigation is having a trickle-down effect on our country's international rail trade. As Paul Johnson reports, all rail traffic through the Fraser Canyon has been halted for 48 hours, and that's impacting all shipments through the port of Vancouver. A container ship riding at anchor in English Bay. For those who know the patterns of global shipping, it's a sign something is wrong. And that's unusual because container ships generally operate like an airline does. To understand the growing bottleneck in our region's ports, you have to look to another mode of transport, railways. The devastating fire that destroyed Lytton first created major delays in rail traffic there. Now Ottawa has ordered a full-on stoppage for two days. With that narrow canyon responsible for so much of Canada's imports and exports, ships will have to wait. Because of the nature of our country, there's only so many passes through the mountains. CN has already made plans to divert some trains and get them to port by bringing them down the old BC rail line from Prince George. That'll help. But in the meantime, the 60-odd anchorage spots around Vancouver and in the Gulf Islands are expected to be full, meaning ships transiting the Pacific have been told to slow down and adjust their plans. I would expect by sometime tomorrow that there will be uh, no more space uh, for ships to anchor. And that means that we'll have ships loitering offshore. Everything is, is stressed. 
the trucking business is really busy, the railways are busy, the ports are very busy. Logistics experts point out that supply chains are something people only notice when they're disrupted. And we've seen a lot of that lately. From everything the pandemic has caused to one-off events like the Lytton disaster and that ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal. Their rule of thumb is that for every week that's lost, it takes three weeks to recover. Canadians ought to be prepared. It's not that far away that farmers will be um, exporting agricultural products like grain. And so backups today could be you know, October's congestion. Paul Johnson, Global News. More paramedics are speaking out about their mounting fears over dangerously low staffing levels right now. One is actively calling for a change in how BC Emergency Health Services is being operated, while another has a dire warning to the public. Stay safe right now, because any call for help will lead to a perilous wait. Nitu Karcha reports. As the struggle to find a cure for the crisis many B.C. paramedics have been sounding the alarm over continues. A letter from a frustrated member of the profession has this message. To any members of the public that have to wait for an ambulance, your local paramedics are sorry. We would get there faster if it were humanly possible. Adding, I encourage everyone to live safely this summer. You are further from help than you may realize even in the downtown of your own community. Wash our hands with the Another center. paramedic told Global News the issue is systemic and the solution is obvious. We've agreed to conceal their identities because they fear losing their job for speaking out. BC just needs to be its own uh, identity. It needs to be pulled away from PHSA. Lead other paramedics because we've lost all faith We've lost all trust in our upper um, echelon right now. This Greater Vancouver paramedic says another solution is to increase hospital patient capacity so paramedics aren't tied up in the hallways of the emergency room for hours waiting for their stretchers. It just says treating us as a hospital relief program because we are under their organization. It's not appropriate because now we can't respond to the people that need us. So that elderly lady with a broken hip who's been sitting on the ground for three hours, we can't get there because we're stuck in the emergency room. Another problem, ambulances are often booked simply to transfer patients not requiring any medical care. No one understands what we do other than paramedics. So why is another organization running ours? On the North Shore, one source told Global News for July, Squamish is short 33 ambulances. Whistler is down 14 and in Pemberton it is 73 with 140 unstaffed shifts and no overnight ambulances for 17 days this month. We just need support and we needed it yesterday. Paramedics say the issues have been prevalent for many years, but in its statement, the Ministry of Health only pointed to the recent strain on the system, adding, we must do better and we will do better for the paramedics and dispatchers who dedicate themselves to protecting us and caring for us and for the British Columbians they serve, adding, it's working on solutions with BCEHS and the union and Health Minister Adrian Dix will have more to say soon. Neetu Garcha, Global News. Vancouver police are launching a public appeal for the driver of a white Tesla to come forward. Police say the vehicle was in the area of Smythe and Hornby streets at around 6 p.m. on Tuesday. That's when a black Ford Escape and a McLaren collided in the intersection and one of the vehicles hopped the curb and slammed into a father and his little girl. 23-month-old Ocean was killed instantly. 
Her father has serious injuries that require a number of surgeries. According to neighbors, the little girl's mother witnessed the deadly crash from across the street. Police believe the Tesla's onboard cameras might have recorded crucial footage of the incident. Investigators believe the white Tesla was driving west on Smythe Street and then made a right turn onto Hornby Street. The vehicle then pulled over on Hornby Street and was stayed there until about 6.08 p.m. before it left the area. So investigators do believe that the Tesla vehicle will have um, important footage um, on that, on the, the uh, memory of the vehicle, and that will have uh, uh, some pretty vital evidence for this investigation. If you are the driver of the white Tesla or know who it is, call the VPD at 604-717-3012. A GoFundMe campaign for Ocean's parents has now raised more than $56,000. BC is inching closer to another vaccination milestone, with nearly 80% of people 18 years and older in this province having received their first dose. We have 45 new cases today and 661 active cases. Some more good news, there are no new deaths to report. 73 people are in hospital, that's down one. 19 of those patients are in the ICU. 79.7% of all adults in BC have received their first shot. And 44.2% of people 18 and older in this province are now fully vaccinated. More evidence we could be heading for a fall election. Another major promise from the Prime Minister. This one to help pay for a SkyTrain extension in BC's fastest growing region. What we'll get for the money next on the News Hour. The word is Maria. It's a G. Coming up, she has a way with words. And spelling isn't the only skill for a teenager at the top of her game. Also a young chef at home in the kitchen and his plan to preserve part of his native heritage. That's coming up later. Right now, though, the Justin Trudeau pre-election express made a stop in Surrey today where the prime minister, Premier John Horgan, and local mayors announced plans to fund SkyTrain from Surrey to Langley. And as Richard Zussman tells us, the federal liberals are hoping the funding promise is an express ride to more votes. All aboard the election speculation train. For the second straight day, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announcing a pair of major funding announcements in Metro Vancouver. The federal government will provide up to $1.3 billion for the Surrey-Langley SkyTrain extension. The money fills the gap created when the Metro Vancouver mayors voted to turn the LRT project into SkyTrain. The extension has a total cost of around $3.1 billion, running SkyTrain's along Fraser Highway to Langley. We've all come together today, and we're getting SkyTrain. Woo! Yeah! Trudeau also bringing surprising news on the future of the Broadway subway line, committing to cover planning on the project to go from Arbutus all the way to UBC. It comes with provincial cash as well. We will be matching the dollars that are on the table from the federal government to continue and conclude the line all the way out to UBC. As for when the train will depart the campaign station, is still unknown. Trudeau's conductor won't tip his hand, although all tracks point towards late summer, early fall. Reflections about some perhaps potential maybe uh, federal election were not top of mind. It is about getting things done. And it's not just the Prime Minister in British Columbia, NDP leader Jugmeet Singh in Victoria Friday, 
clearly marking B.C. is a crucial battleground whenever the next election is. I believe what we need to do right now is focus on getting help to people. And if Justin Trudeau wants to do that and all of his announcements aren't just for show, then he can continue to work with me. No surprise, B.C. is one of the first political stops. Now COVID restrictions are easing. Things are pretty settled elsewhere, but there are places uh, in B.C. where things might swing, particularly lower mainland. And there's more. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole set to visit the province Monday. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, where the prime minister and party leaders spend their time is a good indication of which ridings will be <laughs> in play. Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria with a closer look uh, at Battleground BC and, and the key spots to watch, Keith. Yeah, we've got 42 ridings, and some are basically strongholds for various political parties. Some are very in play. About 12 of them are usually fairly competitive, but I picked a number of them I think are going to be particularly competitive and could change hands if that election is held, and I think we are headed to one. So take a look at this. First of all, there was a really tight three-way race in Port Moody, Coquitlam, last time around, uh, won by the Conservatives by a little more than 300 votes. The Liberals or the NDP are likely the best benefiters from a, a change there. Cloverdale, Langley City, again, a rather small Conservative win. Perhaps the Liberals can pull it out with the SkyTrain promise. Burnaby North Seymour, usually uh, friendly territory for the NDP, and they're hoping to win there with a long, strong councillor running as a candidate there. Vancouver Granville, of course, Jody Wilson-Raybould's not running there again. It's wide open. The Liberals, if it wasn't for Wilson-Raybould, would have won that seat last time. And I included Nanaimo Ladysmith here, because that's traditionally an NDP seat. Uh, the Greens won that handily with Paul Manley last time around by more than 6,000 votes. But the federal Green Party is in turmoil nationally. They've got a leadership crisis. So I, I think that party's organization right now is going to be anywhere near what it was or the momentum that it had in 2019, which puts that riding back into play. We'll be looking at these ridings between now and election night many times, Sophie. And there's other ridings, of course, we'll add to that list. But I think you can almost taste the election fever out there. Uh, big money uh, with transportation projects usually followed by a vote. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to see one late summer or early fall. Well, you spent the last 18 months talking about COVID, so now you will like, spend the next like, few months talking like to about... like to talk about, <laughs> talk about <laughs> something else for once, yeah. <laughs> all right, Keith, thank you. Oh, we might all appreciate that by then. All right, just ahead, Penticton proves it won't back down from a fight. We're just about fed up with all the antics going on over there. Why residents say this is not the spot to put the homeless. And in sports, the beginning of a beautiful rivalry. When the Canucks will get their first crack at the Kraken. Traffic is in recovery mode here eastbound on Highway 1 through Burnaby after clearing an earlier three-car crash just before Kensington. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $21 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, hive of Highway 1 in Kensington. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. On Global News Hour at 6. The dispute over a controversial emergency shelter in downtown Penticton is heading to the BC Supreme Court. The mayor and council don't want it where it is and say they have the backing of residents to fight it. Darian Matassa-Fung reports. The city announced that it's challenging the province's decision to invoke paramountcy over the 42-bed shelter on Winnipeg Street. The province has kept the shelter's doors open despite loud objections from both residents and city council. 
The Penticton mayor was not available for an interview, but did supply a statement. Council has listened, and by way of polls, petitions, and letters, thousands of residents have told us that 352 Winnipeg Street is no place for a shelter, and we agree. That is why council denied renewing the permit and why we continue to oppose the facility at this location. We hope BC Housing will do the right thing and close the shelter. The BC Attorney General was also not available for interview, but did respond to the newest legal action taken by the city. I'm disappointed to hear that Penticton City Council is pursuing legal action against BC Housing. It appears the best case scenario from Penticton's perspective is that they spend $300,000 and increase the city's street homeless population by 42 people. We will continue to work with Penticton City staff to respond to the city's ongoing homelessness crisis despite this lawsuit. Talking to some nearby residents today, Global News could not find anyone that was in favor of keeping the shelter at its current location. I'd like to see it gone. Um, they shouldn't be downtown for starters. Um, they're scared a lot of uh, seniors. I think it should be moved. We're just about fed up with all the antics going on over there and... I don't know if how many days go by before an ambulance or something pulls in. And I'm on the homeless side. Like They need their help too. But this city is not the place for it. This is a retirement community where people just want to be left alone and live a quiet life. Prior to this new court filing, the city of Penticton has said up to $300,000 in legal fees has been approved. A number that has been run by the community in a community poll in April. Darian Matassa, Fun Global News, Penticton. And in Vancouver, the Park Board has begun clearing out a new homeless encampment on Vancouver's waterfront. Park rangers were out early this morning removing tents and structures from Crab Park. A couple of dozen people had set up there when the Strathcona Park encampment was closed in the spring. But the number of tents has since grown to about 50. The Park Board says it needs the park cleared to allow for scheduled maintenance. The city was allow or was allowing people to set up tents overnight, but they had to be removed by the morning. Recently, though, more and more people were ignoring the request to pack up during the day. Both the Union of BC Indian Chiefs and the Pivot Legal Society are calling on the Park Board and Vancouver Police to stop the decampment of Indigenous people from unceded territory in Crab Park. A celebration of life was held today for the man who for years has been the host and the heart of Vancouver's Remembrance Day ceremony. Under Cam's leadership, Remembrance Day at Victory Square is now one of the largest and most respected in the country. Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart was among the speakers honoring Cam Cathcart, who passed away suddenly on June 5th at his home in Vancouver. He was 83 years old. Cathcart served as a member of the Royal Canadian Artillery before moving on to a 30-year-plus career in broadcasting, including a stint reporting the weather forecast for BCTV. And for the past 18 years, he was the MC at Vancouver's Remembrance Day ceremony at Victory Square and helped to organize the event. What a great partner to Global and... Uh... Nobody cared more about veterans than Cam. Yeah, absolutely. He'll He's, be missed. Yeah, he sure will be. Coming up, the timing of a COVID booster shot. So it's clear that many will require a third dose. Who's most likely to need more than two doses? And a lot of progress at the site of the collapsed Surfside condo building.
Good evening. Traffic is steady both ways over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Keep in mind that not too far away on Highway 17 and the 91 Connector, there's going to be some overnight paving and road work all weekend long. Welcome to the electric future. Be among the first to reserve the all-new 2022 Bolt EUV or redesigned 2022 Bolt EV. Request your reservation today. Visit ChevroletOffers.ca. I'm Trish Jewis sitting Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Tropical storm Elsa has now hit the U.S. East Coast, leaving people in many areas assessing the damage. In New York City, flash flooding brought traffic to a standstill, some of the water even seeping into subway stations. On top of the heavy rain, there were also strong winds. Over in New Jersey, a pavilion at a local resort collapsed and a tree was uprooted. And in Connecticut, there was a mudslide resulting in train delays for some commuters. Elsa is now moving north, and officials in Atlantic Canada are keeping a close eye on the tropical storm. There are more questions today about what happened before a Florida condo building partially collapsed. As Jennifer Johnson reports, new information is coming to light about the status of the building prior to the incident. The search for remains of the missing goes on as new reports come out claiming there were additional warnings about concrete falling apart in the Surfside condominium building months before it collapsed. Condo and town officials say the threat was never made clear to them as the body toll climbs. The magnitude of this tragedy is growing each and every day. It's an aching hole in the center of this close-knit family here in Surfside. Family members now have to face the painful fact that their loved ones are really gone. And what I'm really dreading is the next phase. I'm not quite there yet personally. My family's not quite there and my kids are not there. As this community mourns, many wonder if their building could be next. In the middle of a 30-day review, inspectors have already red-flagged 10 complexes with visual deficiencies. There will be additional inspections. City officials say they will not hesitate to evacuate an unsafe building. If we can't get a letter from a structural engineer assuring us that the building is safe for occupancy, we will have to pull that trigger. Officials are determined to prevent a repeat of this tragedy, while also investigating what exactly caused this building to collapse. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. Well, most of us are anxious about getting fully vaccinated against COVID-19, but what if we need to get a third booster shot? One of the pharmaceutical giants is raising that prospect, and John Waugh has more, including what the health experts have to say about it. Call it the second dose selfie pictures many hope to look back on as the end of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm excited to get back to my routine, what we all used to do, meet families, gather with friends. But just as many show off their second vaccination band-aids like badges of honor, a new debate is taking shape over the need for a third booster shot. You have to keep up with the virus and We'll have to do what we need to do. I get the flu shot every year, so I'm totally fine to keep this updated as long as we can get it under control. This is Pfizer and BioNTech seek emergency authorization in the U.S. and Europe. For a booster, the company says offers the highest level of protection against COVID-19, especially the Delta variant. The key for us is to understand how long it takes for that immune response to decay such that another booster shot to get it back to where it was after the second shot is needed. The U.S. Center for Disease Control and Food and Drug Administration writing in a joint statement, Americans who have been fully vaccinated do not need a booster at this time. 
adding we are prepared for booster doses if and when the science demonstrates that they are needed. In people whose immune system is depleted because of medicines they're receiving, underlying health conditions and the like, that the double-dose vaccine clearly does not meet the standard. But other experts warn the rush for regulatory approval might be less about optimal protection and more about profit and opportunism. I think that trying to suggest that there's a need for vaccines in countries that already have uh, good access to them is really placing profits over the needs of public health. Canada has yet to receive a request to authorize a COVID-19 booster. But everyone we spoke to at this vaccination clinic says if a third shot is needed, count them in for a poke in the arm and another picture to prove it. John Hua, Global News. Straight ahead, a young cook with an appetite for change. I'm hoping to learn different cooking techniques. How this 14-year-old plans to preserve the flavors of his culture. And what a run for a young Canadian at Wimbledon. Why Dennis Shapovalov has a lot of new fans. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A teen basketball prodigy has become the first African American to slam dunk the spelling championship. Maria, M U R R A Y A. That is correct. <laughs> That's the best reaction. 14-year-old mm-hmm. Zaila Avant-Garde took the title at the Scripps National Spelling Bee after correctly spelling, oh, how do you pronounce that, Maria? Maria, I Maria? think he Maria? said Maria. Well, I, I can't spell it either. That's the name of a type of tropical tree. The teen from New Orleans says despite practicing up to seven hours a day, she considers spelling to be just a side hobby. And her main focus is on becoming a basketball pro. She is the first African-American winner in the competition's 96-year history. She also has a Guinness World Records for yeah. basketball prowess. Dribbling mm-hmm. many basketballs at a time. She's yeah. an amazing young talent. Can't wait to see what's in the future for her. Yeah. Uh, let's see what's in the future for weather as we head into the weekend. Here's Christy. Thanks so much, Chris. So uh, we still have no rain in the forecast as far as we can see. It was a stellar day today. Uh, blue sky across most of southern BC, unless you were dealing with smoke. And that's the problem. Across southern BC, yes, we'll see sunshine, but there may be some smoke in your forecast as there are a ton of fires. Here's a look at what it looked like in Prince George this morning. You likely remember this when there's so much smoke. That sun just looks like a big orange ball. And this was in Prince George this morning. Thank you to Alan for that. So that's where the majority of the smoke was today and through the central interior, just touching down into the Caribou region. That BC Peace River area also seen significant smoke today. Tomorrow, we are going to see a bit of a shift. We're expecting gusts to pick up in the afternoon and evening. 40 kilometer an hour gusts coming out of the west. Now, that should shift that smoke a little bit later tomorrow and into Sunday towards Alberta a little bit. So you may breathe a little bit of fresh air uh, into the latter part of the day tomorrow if you're soft in right now. Here's the current situation. Remember all the lightning strikes we talked about through southern BC yesterday? Well, check it out. 60 new fires in the last two days. 67% of those lightning caused. We now have 240 fires. This jumped, by the way, by uh, 20 fires just in the last couple of hours. So significant fires across southern BC. And we have no significant rain in the forecast. The rain is going to be across northern BC. That's where we're going to see the majority 
majority of that action along with some risk of thunderstorms but at least a lot of moisture. Now keep in mind the thunderstorms we saw in southern BC yesterday did come with some rain that dropped the forest fire danger rating a little bit but not enough because we're going to be back to hot dry weather and we have a risk of thunderstorms in the central interior caribou region tomorrow. Now for metro Vancouver we'll wake up to some uh, cloud cover so a cooler start to the day sort of like we saw today but other than that we're looking at straight sunshine so a great weekend if you're out enjoying summer but not great if you're dealing with forest fires right now and here's a look at tonight's central windows weather window an incredible shot from the hope princeton highway graham captured this as lightning struck a tree and it exploded into flames that's a nuts shot well done graham and thanks for sharing it with us that's took care of that quickly. Yeah, that's right. It's incredible, and it shows how quickly it can start. Mm-hmm. An Indigenous New Brunswick teen hopes to share his passion for cooking and, and his culture with others. And according to his mentor, Caleb Francis has all the right ingredients to achieve his dream. Global's Shelley Steves reports. What we're using is uh, some tarragon, right? Caleb Francis has been dreaming of this moment since he was a little boy. Growing up in Elsie Booktook First Nations, cooking for his family. I'm hoping to learn different cooking techniques and different... um, different ways of cooking. At only 14 years old, Caleb has been hired by Red Seal chef Jean Cormier to work at his restaurant at Parley Beach in Shediac. Excellent. His youngest apprentice to date. Caleb is honing his culinary skills and working toward his dream to one day open his own restaurant where he hopes to delve more deeply into his traditional culinary culture. When I start getting older, I want to start doing like trips to different Um, reserves and finding out more about the traditional cooking and introduce that into my life. So it can be shared with others. It's something as dear to his heart as cooking. I think it's important because a lot of our language was like taken away. A lot of our culture was like taken. So I want to introduce that back into like the world. You want to try to bunch it all together? Jean looks forward to helping Caleb master his culinary techniques and help him work toward his dreams. It's for Caleb to express himself from a culinary standpoint, to put flavors on a plate and to showcase what represents him. Nancy Millier runs the Youth Cultural Centre in Elsie Booktook. She would like to see more employers reach out to the Indigenous community. Give us opportunities for our youth to grow that we may not have in our own community that we could give to them. Caleb will work here for the next few summers, developing his culinary skills, and he plans to study culinary arts after graduation. Seeing that the potential and the, and the growth that this kid's going to see in the next couple of years, if this is what he's going to be anchored in, is going to be amazing. Shelley Steves, Global News, Shediac. And now we all want tacos. <laughs> it's, it's tough seeing food at quarter to seven mm-hmm. when it's close to dinner time for us, too. <laughs> Good luck to Caleb throughout his culinary career. All right, here is Squire and a look uh, ahead to what's coming up in sports. And, uh, yeah, the rivalry down I-5. Yeah, well, we found out today that the very first ever exhibition game the Seattle Kraken will play will be against the Vancouver Canucks. And a team called the Vancouver Canucks hasn't played a team from Seattle since they were both in the minors back in the old Western Hockey League days. Well, they didn't like each other back then either. That was the old Seattle Totems in the Vancouver Canucks. You know who's playing goal there? I think that's Tony Esposito playing for the Canucks. I think. Wow. There you go.
cool footage. Also tonight, we'll jump into the weekend with satellite debris. a good name. Well, and it'll be a good rivalry with the Canucks because it'll be killer whale against mythical sea beast. See? It's an all-ocean fight. Uh, There should be a movie. Orca against Kraken. I like it. It's kind of like a Godzilla King Kong thing, Um, but very West Coast. As you'd expect, the uh, very first Seattle Kraken exhibition game will be against their immediate rivals, the Vancouver Canucks. It was announced today the Canucks and Kraken will play an exhibition game on September 26th, but not in Seattle. They'll play in Spokane. The uh, Canucks and Kraken will also play at Rogers Arena on October the 5th. Also, the Canucks were supposed to tell us the nickname and the logo of their new farm team in Abbotsford. That's been postponed, I think, until uh, next week. Uh, Denis Shapovalov, Novak Djokovic, semifinals, Wimbledon. Shapovalov played well. Really played well. He got up on Djokovic in the first set, 5-3. But every time it looked like Shapovalov could win a set, the wheels came off just enough to let Djokovic back in, like right here. Too long. And another example. It's 6-6. He could still win this set. But you can't be doing this. Not against Djokovic. You can't give him openings. Second set, Djokovic won the first set, 7-6. That is clever. To the third set, Djokovic now up to love. But again, Shapovalov making a work for it. Every set, Shapovalov at some point you thought, this guy might be able to win a set against Djokovic, but then... The master himself turned the tables and won this in straight set. So Djokovic has a chance. He'll take on Barantini in the final to win 20 Grand Slams. Here's Denis Shapovalov. Oh, you know, obviously it's it's an unbelievable result, and and I don't think before the the tournament I dreamed of of being in the semis, but I do believe in my game, and I believe that you know that that I was able to to win every every one of the matches that that I played this week it was very very close, and he's had a fantastic tournament, and I told him after the match that. He, you know, he should keep working, keep believing, because he's got a, he's, he's going to with the game like that. He's going to get a lot more opportunities in the in the future, without a doubt. A lot of the players who will be at the BC Lions training camp this weekend in Kamloops haven't actually been involved in a football play since 2019. They haven't been hit hard. They haven't tackled anyone, and they haven't been tackled. But even though that is the case, and even though coaches have to keep guys and cut guys without any exhibition games this year, they won't succumb to the pressure of having a more physical training camp than usual. Players will have shoulder pads on, but no tackling. I've been coaching in this league for 22 years or something, and we've never tackled in practice. So there are some, uh, a little bit of hitting that goes on, but it's really focusing on the speed and skill and then the physical toughness or courage or whatever you call that comes when you comes to game days. 
Former Vancouver Canadian Alec Manoa starting for the Blue Jays, taking on Tampa Bay. And if it's Tampa Bay, it must be a good team because every team in Tampa Bay is good. But Manoa's got some game. Kevin Kiermeyer gets struck out there, his fourth K of the night. Through three innings, he had eight strikeouts. That's his 50th strikeout in just his eighth Major League game. That's the fastest to 50 strikeouts in Major League, or make that Jays history, not Major League history, Jays history. But eventually, things came unglued for him. G-Man Choi here gets hit. Ow! That forces in a run. Manoa left with the score 3-1. It's now 5-1 in the seventh. All right. I'll stay around because it's satellite debris. <laughs> Oh, stay. good. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, no, no knee injuries on satellite debris coming up next. I'm ready. I'm ready too. Okay. Let's end this week. Well, then I'm ready. Note. You guys are ready. I'm ready. You're ready out there. Let's go. Uh, this is satellite debris, of course. And our first, uh, this is actually a series of promos for a TV station called France 3, or it's number three in France. It doesn't really matter. Anyway, here it is. <laughs> Bel été sur France 3. sur France 3. Belle été sur France 3. Do you think we should send those to our marketing department? Well, <laughs> it's not part of my cable package, but I like the promos. I may have to get that. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel on a trampoline. Okay, go. <laughs> Really? <laughs> okay, so now this one from Carlton Dry. You're much smaller. Welcome to the Temple of Dry. Here, you will free yourself of complication and you will learn to be like the beer. <laughs> like Carlton Dry. You must be perfectly balanced. <laughs> you must never be bitter. You must be smooth. Oh, Martin. Blowing in the beer bottles, the Zamfir moment. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, a uh, couple from FedEx. Here we go. Now that FedEx has helped us simplify our e-commerce, we can focus on bigger issues like our passive-aggressive environment. We're not passive-aggressive. Passive hey, hey, hey. There are no bad suggestions here, no matter how lame they are. Well said, Anne. I've always admired how you just say what's in your head without thinking. Very brave. Good point, Ted. You're living proof that looks aren't everything. Thank you. Welcome. So, FedEx helps simplify our e-commerce business, and this is not a passive-aggressive environment. I just want to say you guys are doing a great job. What's that supposed to mean? 
FedEx, helping small business simplify e-commerce. Boy, we're shipping a ton of these goofy glasses. Yeah, well, we gotta hand it to FedEx. They've helped make our e-commerce so easy, and now we're getting all kinds of new customers. I know. Can you believe we're getting orders from Canada, Ireland? This one is going to New Zealand. New Zealand? You guys are going to scare away the deer. Idiots. Providing global access for small business. FedEx. <laughs> that France 3 station, that was the same one. Was it earlier this year we ran the Marmots? Remember the Marmots? Oh, yeah. For the, it was like all the winter sports. The one Marmot was sitting on the curling rock as it was going down. That's right. I, so I this, felt like there was an Olympic theme there, but then I couldn't quite figure out the ostriches on the... Um, or were the they end. emus? They might have been <laughs> emus. I don't know. I don't know what they are. Weird. Well, I don't know where bring, you get it, but I'm glad you need do. need a bird expert on this show. Bring back the marmots for next week. Oh, I, I, can, I actually can do that. I promise. I can bring back marmots. You Always want. love the okay. animals doing things they wouldn't normally do. I don't know if there's any raccoons in the backyard at Christie's Place like I've seen on social media, but uh, <laughs> at least there's some sunshine back there. Yes, absolutely. I have to say, it's really tough not being able to see satellite debris and only hear it from yeah. my perspective. <laughs> Half of it I don't understand. But anyways, tons of sunshine in the forecast. We still have no rain in the forecast as far as we can see, uh, except for northern BC right now, which is some good news for that region, certainly. But tomorrow, 24 to 27 degrees as our daytime high. We will see a little bit of cloud cover through the morning, but... Other than that, you've got a weekend to enjoy. Let's just hope we get rid of some of the smoke and mm. fires, of course. I tell you what, I can see satellite debris, and I ha half the time I don't get it either. <laughs> <laughs> it would make a terrible radio program. That's it's what makes it so special. <laughs> yeah, thanks very much for watching, everybody. Have a great weekend. Good night, all.